0: Settle down, will be clear. Don't pay no mind to the demons, they fill you with fear. And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast, InvestingHope.com, iTunes, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. You can even tell Alexa to play the show and she'll do that for you. Uh today we got a lot of things to cover. We're going to be talking about uh the Equality Act. I know a lot of you probably heard about that, read a little bit about that. We're going to go into it what that means for uh nonprofits, what's that what that means for Christian institutions, faith institutions. Uh it was passed in the House. Uh, it's unlikely that it'll pass the Senate uh there in Washington, but uh but we need at least discuss it, talk about what it means, what, what it involves. And, and, a lot of times what you find in Congress is they name things, uh, you know, they, they name it Equality Act. And, and you're thinking, well, who's going to oppose the Equality Act? We want everyone to be equal. Uh, but then you get into the, the weeds of it and you're like, okay, maybe that, uh, maybe it's equality for some, but, but not for all. And so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to look at Uh, the news on Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, and we talked about him a number of times on this show over the last six or seven months, uh, eight months. And and the reason we're, we're talking about him now is because a lot of, a lot of folks in the media, a lot of folks that would consider themselves progressive, uh, were celebrating this man in, in 2020. They were saying he was the best thing since sliced bread. He was the greatest leader the country has ever seen. Uh, he was doing better than any other state there in the state of New York. Even while the death numbers and the COVID numbers were, were piling up in the state of New York, he was going on all the news agencies. He was getting on all the cable news, all the mainstream news talking about what he was doing in New York, he was being celebrated for his his kind of brash style, his tell it like it is uh, style, and, and all of those things. And, and so uh, what was happening during all of that time, he was also writing a book. That book became a number one bestseller. He, he won an Emmy. All of these things occurred, and what we found was, oh, they weren't being honest about the numbers, the nursing home death numbers, and now we're finding... Many women are coming at uh, three women at this point have come out and said that he created a, a, an environment that was unsafe, that he were harassed, that he, he used improper uh, language, that he made advances at, at people. And, and so we're going to talk about that as well. Then we're going to end the show by talking about um, the health and human services pick in the Biden administration, which is Picara, and uh, and his stance on partial birth abortion and I think it's important that we talk about that but we're going to start with the Equality Act the Equality Act there's a great piece over at Christianity today by Ed Stetzer talking about this and so I'm going to walk through it and then we'll we'll go from there uh, so Congress did in fact vote uh, in favor of the Equality Act uh, last week and so uh, proponents indicate that it would ban discrimination toward people based on sexual orientation and And gender identity While discrimination toward people created in the image of God should indeed be opposed The Equality Act does so in ways that significantly disregard religious liberty concerns So Ed Stetzer says Just how far remains to be seen In all likelihood, uh, based on what we have seen The Senate will not pass But it it is global news and we're going to be talking about it uh, anyway So the Equality Act will eventually pass That That is what we believe the question is what the final version will be. Uh, Ed Stetzer says he's spoken to members of Congress in the House and Senate and to senior leaders in the Biden administration. Many, not all, assure uh, him that there will be accommodations for the sincerely held religious beliefs of evangelicals, but also for Catholics, Mormons, Muslims, and people of no faith for that matter. However, that's not the rhetoric we're, we are hearing and seeing in the news, in the halls of Congress, and online. And honestly, I think there is some, uh, some people being naive from some that their more progressive colleagues will actually want to find a compromise. We don't see that, that many are wanting to find a compromise. In October 2019, following the CNN Equality Town Hall meeting, uh, Ed Stetzer said this, how, in 2009, how is my gay marriage going to hurt you? We just want marriage equality. In 2019 and 2020, they've gone from to, We want the tax-exempt status of the churches, charities, and colleges revoked for your failure to change your views on gay marriage. Uh, Stetzer said in an article then, In the span of one decade, the goalposts have been changed from, We just want equality to affirm the new orthodoxy on same-sex marriage or loose tax-exempt status. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about churches losing tax-exempt status, though that is exactly what some are requesting. And I was responding to Beto O'Rourke's comment in that tweet. That's what Ed Stetzer was referring to. Yet it is important to note, stripping churches of their tax-exempt status would not make it through Congress now or any in the near future. However, the Equality Act would indeed impact religious liberty and Christian mission at multiple points. And Stetzer explains What kind of impact would it have on evangelicals? The Equality Act would have a significant impact on evangelical practice and mission in multiple contexts. An article by the National Association of Evangelicals stated in May 2019, if the measure became law, many religious schools and charities would have to change their faith-based policies and practices or face sanctions that could force them to close their doors. At the time, the the NAE president, Lee, Leith Anderson, wrote in a letter to Congress arguing the following are likely outcomes if this becomes law. Here's what Anderson said. Houses of worship and other religious spaces will be turned into places of public accommodation. Federal funds will be denied to thousands of houses of worship, schools, and charities that currently receive them. Religious adoption and foster care providers would be devastated, harming innocent children and families. Many privately funded shelters for the homeless and victims of domestic violence would be rendered illegal, ripping a hole in the social safety net. Core rights would be stripped from religious colleges and universities, houses of worship, religious charities, and religious individuals will lose the protection of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And religious individuals would be forced to take part in weddings and funerals that violate their religious beliefs. And then uh, Stetzer said this, At Wheaton College, where he serves, we have a community covenant that aligns our l- life and beliefs. We affirm the biblical teaching that marriage is designed and created for one man, one woman, and one lifetime. The Equality Act would, in essence, say that our beliefs are unacceptable and that we must change. So how are other folks being impacted? Uh, evangelicals, though making up a significant percentage of the U.S., are not the only group concerned about the Equality Act. In an opinion at NBC News, Rabbi Avi, Avi Shafran stated the obvious that no religious American of goodwill wants to see gay or transgendered people threatened in any way. However, he added, millions of religious Americans of goodwill have deep faith-based convictions about marriage and sexual identity, including, for example, that marriage is a holy commitment made by a man and a woman to each other before God and the Creator bestowed DNA and morphology as the only arbiters of gender identity. By vilifying those ideas, the Equality Act would vilify all who hold them to be true. He commented that although the act on the surface will expand the 64 Civil Rights Act to further forbid discrimination based on gender identity and sexual orientation, the Equality Act will go beyond it. And he said this, Indeed, contrary to how it is often portrayed, the Equality Act wouldn't simply amend the Civil Rights Act to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. The Equality Act would go a step further, and heroin lies the radical rub by cutting off avenues of appeal for any penalties opposed under the Act. Specifically, it would override the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which gives people a way to challenge government requirements that they feel uh, go against their religious rights. President Biden, along with Democratic-controlled House of Representatives with the narrowest of majorities in the Senate, could sign this into law. The issue at stake is this question. Can people dissent from the new majority view of marriage? What will be the penalty for those who, based on religious conviction, disagree with redefining marriage? There are serious long-term implications for religious liberty here, undermining past laws that have been central to religious liberty for decades. A statement from the ACLU on this issue said this. The Equality Act also clarifies that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act cannot be used in civil rights context, prohibiting religious liberty, which is a core American value, from being used as a license to discriminate. We should, without any ambiguity... Amb- <laughs> Sometimes words have a problem. We should, without any hesitancy, affirm that all people, including those in the LGBTQ plus community, should be treated with respect and dignity. Their civil rights matter, but the Equality Act will swing the pendulum too far, creating a new discrimination toward those of religious convictions that go against the cultural flow we now see. The Council for Christian Colleges and Universities said this. The Equality Act fails to provide essential religious liberty protections that would allow a diverse group of social service and civic institutions to continue to thrive, in particular as it relates to the sector of faith-based higher education that is religious convictions around marriage, human sexuality, and gender, including CCCU institutions, Christians Christian institutions. These laws would conflict in ways that would put at risk their ability to hire and operate in accordance with their religious missions and would restrict students' choice in an unprecedented way by preventing middle- and low-income students from being able to to take their federal student aid to these institutions. Faith-based higher education has always been an essential element of the diversity of the higher education system in the U.S. Many of the first colleges and universities in the U.S. were religious. And it is essential that any protections for LGBT persons be paired with the essential religious freedom that maximize freedom for all. University of Virginia law professor Douglas Laycock spoke about the unbalanced impact of the Equality Act as well. It protects, he says, the rights of one side, but attempts to destroy the rights of the other side. We ought to protect the liberty of both sides to live their own lives by their own identities and their own values. And that's where we are. So it did pass the House. Doesn't look like it's going to pass the Senate in that form. Now, what will it look like moving forward? I don't know. But it's almost like those coexist bumper stickers... You've seen them out and around. I'm sure it's almost like they don't really want to coexist. We'll coexist unless you believe differently than than us. We'll coexist unless you voted for the other guy. We'll coexist unless you're a Christian. We'll coexist unless you are a faith based person. Then then I mean, we don't really want to coexist. This is what a lot of folks said, you know, years ago when when we saw marriage redefined. So many were saying, look, we just want to be able to get married. That's it. We're not trying to, there's no underlying tone or or narrative that we're pushing. We just want to get married just like anybody else. And so a lot of people bought that and said, okay, well, the Supreme Court has said it, so we're going to move forward, get married, that's fine. Fast forward just 10 years, and this is what has happened. Al Mohler, who is a great theologian, president of Southern Baptist uh, Seminary there in Louisville, Kentucky He has mentioned this a number of times Look, the, the, the goal wasn't just marriage It wasn't just to redefine marriage It's to redefine everything To redefine gender And if you have a value system That goes against the mainstream Or if you have a value system That is rooted and founded There in your religious and faith beliefs And that value system says That marriage is between one man and one woman Then you are the enemy and not only do you need to, uh, change your ways, but we're going to make it hard for you to operate, almost impossible for you to operate. So if you're a Christian university or a Christian institution, you may lose your tax exempt status. You may have to rearrange your policies. You may have to pay for, uh, birth control. You may have to, and we've seen this court case after court case after court case. It's the same thing about whether the, 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 People will bake the cake or not. There are a number of bakeries across this country that will bake cakes for uh, same-sex marriages, for, for opposite-sex marriages, whatever that looks like. There is a number of bakeries that will bake all the cake you want. But what did we have? We had a certain group of people going after a particular baker because they knew that baker was going to say no. Now, they could have went down the road and got their cake baked, but they didn't. Why? Because they had a a bigger issue that they wanted to bring to the surface. You see, if I go to a restaurant and they say, we're not going to serve redheads, it may upset me. But you know what? There's a lot of restaurants that serve redheads. And so I'll just take my business elsewhere. It's really that simple. It really is that simple. But instead, there's a push to silence folks. And so if you're hearing my voice today and you're a Christian, I would say also be careful not that you're the one seeking to silence, folks. We can, in in essence, coexist. The problem is nobody really wants to do that. We just want to shut everybody else up. So it remains to be seen what the Equality Act will look like once it goes through the Senate and once it gets amended and all those things. We'll see. And we'll talk about it as we always do. We'll be back. This is this is so learn more about the Equality Act. You know, keep up with it. Look, but there's been some folks that I've seen that have just, I mean, with the way the election went back in November, there there are some folks that have not stopped wringing their hands. Look, we know that elections are going to change things. I was talking to my dad the other day, and he was like, "Are you not so? Are, are you not bothered by, uh, or, or surprised by what's happened in the first you know month or so of this administration?" I said, "No. I'm, of course I'm bothered by it. I'm not surprised by any of it. When, when you lead from the Oval Office via executive order, then don't be surprised when the next person comes in and does the same thing, and undoes and, 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 and goes about undoing all that you have done." Nothing that Biden has done up to this point has surprised me. Nothing. We knew all of this was coming. And also we don't put all of our hope in what's happening in Washington. So I'm not going to bed at night wringing my hands and thinking the sky is falling. I'm not. Now, now I care about decisions that are made. And of course I'm going to push for positive outcomes but please don't let this stuff wrap you up. And and so as we think about the Equality Act, we need to be vocal about it. We need to stand our ground on it and stand in opposition to it for the right reasons. But that's a process. And so learn about it, educate yourself about it so you can have conversations with folks When that comes up right now, I want to shift gears and look at what's happening in New York. Andrew Cuomo, things are starting to unravel for the governor there in the state of New York. Now, uh, again, I've kind of been in this mode of I told you so for months now. I mean, go back and listen to the archive. We've been calling out Andrew Cuomo for what he's been doing in New York for a long time and for the the uh, not being transparent when it comes to nursing home deaths and, and for the policy that, that was actually putting infected uh, COVID patients back into nursing homes and infecting other nursing home patients and, and then not being honest with how they're reporting the deaths. Well, that's all come out now. Their own attorney general there in New York, which is a Democrat, uh, did his own investigation and came out and said, okay, yeah, things uh, things not very good here. And then just a couple of weeks ago, you had had a woman – uh, write a piece and come forward and say, look, uh, the administration there in New York is not, not good, not a safe place, not a great environment, and here's why. And then you had another young lady come out, and then now there's a third. So this article is over at CNN. Imagine that. I'm quoting a CNN article. Uh, but, but that is uh, what we're seeing. A third woman has now accused Democratic New York Governor Andrew Cuomo of unwanted advances in 2019. The New York Times reported Monday adding to an escalating crisis facing the governor in the wake of two sexual harassment allegations. The woman, Anna Ruck, told the Times that Cuomo approached her during a crowded wedding reception in New York in 2019. She told the newspaper she thanked Cuomo for his toast to the newlyweds, and in response, she says he put his hands on her bare lower back, which the Times said was exposed in an open back dress. When she removed his hand, Cuomo allegedly told her she seemed aggressive as he put his hands on her cheeks. She recalled to the Times. Cuomo then asked if he could kiss her, and she s- said she distanced herself as he came closer. I was so confused and shocked and embarrassed, she told the Times. I turned my head away and didn't have words in that moment. The newspaper also reported that uh, the, this lady says she was later told by a friend that Cuomo had kissed her cheek as she pulled away. CNN has not verified the allegations against the New York governor, and uh, this young lady did not respond to CNN's request for comment. The latest accusation set off another torrent of criticism and new calls for Cuomo to resign. This time for the New York Representative Kathleen Rice, the first Democratic U.S. House member to demand that the governor step down. The time has come, Rice tweeted late Monday, the governor must resign. With her statement Monday, Rice joined a small group of other Democratic state lawmakers, including state Senators Alexandra Bagagi and Gustavo Rivera and Assemblywoman Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas, who have said Cuomo should leave office in the wake of mounting allegations. They even tweeted, Cuomo, you are a monster and it is time for you to go now. The New York Working Families Party, a progressive organization that has clashed with Cuomo over the years, echoed their calls on Tuesday morning. They said this, Cuomo's reign of fear, harassment, and intimidation cannot continue. New York Working Family Party State Director said in a statement, We are calling on Governor Cuomo to resign immediately because he is unfit to serve the people of New York. An independent investigation which could see Cuomo compelled to testify is poised to begin under the guidance of the State Attorney General. The New Times report said the episode was loud enough and could be heard by a friend standing nearby who corroborated the exchange along with photographs from the event and text messages at the time. Yeah, there is a photograph of Governor Cuomo holding this young lady by the cheeks. The New York Times did not identify the friend in its reporting. The Times published a single photo of the two together at the event in which Cuomo appears to be placing his hands around the young lady's face, but it is unclear what happened in that moment. The first woman to make this—see, this woman is the first to make an accusation against Cuomo, who did not work for him. The other two women uh, who accused the governor of sexual harassment were both aides in the Cuomo administration. Cuomo's office didn't respond to CNN's reported a repeated request for comment. A spokesperson for Cuomo did not directly address the allegations to the newspaper, but pointed to a statement in the governor. See, the governor released Sunday evening in the face of backlash. Uh, allegations of sexual harassment. In the statement, Cuomo said to be clear, I never inappropriately touched anybody and never propositioned anybody, and I never intended to make anyone feel uncomfortable. But these are allegations that New Yorkers deserve answers to. Cuomo also acknowledged that some of his previous comments may have been insensitive or too personal and said he was truly sorry to those who might have misinterpreted the remarks as unwanted flirtation. His comments came after an accusation of sexual harassment, harassment emerged Saturday evening in a Separate Times article. Bennett, a 25 year old former executive assistant and health policy advisor to Cuomo, told the newspaper that during one of several uncomfortable encounters, Cuomo asked her questions about her sex life during a conversation in the state capitol office and said he was open to relationships with women in their 20s. And the list goes on and on and on. And so what we what we have here is this is the culture that has been created. So I don't know if the allegations are true. Or if they're not true. But I do know that during the Kavanaugh hearings, if you'll remember, Judge Kavanaugh was being, uh, put in front of the Senate to be this next Supreme Court Justice. And people came out of everywhere calling him a number of things saying that he harassed, that he, that he raped when he was in high school, all these things about him. Now he strongly denied those allegations. But many people came out and said, it doesn't matter. We need to believe those that are coming forward. Andrew Cuomo, in during that time, tweeted out that the allegations against Kavanaugh are credible and Kavanaugh should step aside and we need to hear these women out. You see, Cuomo said that during the Kavanaugh hearings. And now Cuomo is saying, I'm not going anywhere. I didn't do anything. And, and so which direction do we go? I, I don't know the answer to that. My my beef with Cuomo was COVID and the way he handled that as the governor of the state. With policies that he put in place, with his uh, aggressive attitude toward the media, with his aggressive attitude attitude toward conservatives, with his aggressive attitude toward uh, people of faith, you know, when, when uh, Samaritan's Purse said, we can help, we, we can come help, New York said, no, we don't need your help because we don't need your kind here. When Cuomo has said things like, we don't need pro-lifers living in this state. You see, my beef with him was for those things, and now you have three allegations against him from three separate women, two being staff members, one being a person that he just met at a wedding. Now, so I don't know the truth behind all of it. We'll we'll eventually find out, maybe. But it's interesting to me, while all that was going on in 2020, no one was calling the governor out on his leadership or lack thereof. But now they're being forced. CNN's being forced to write about it and talk about it. New York Times being forced to write about it and talk about it. So we'll see how it all shakes out. When we come back, we're going to talk about Bacara and the, possibly the next in line to head up the Department of Human Services. We'll be back. Be? So a lot to talk about today and, and a lot going on around the country. And, and look, the reason why we bring these things up is because we they need to be talked about and they need to be discussed uh, when when. Political leaders put their name in the hat, whether it be Republican, Democrat, independent, anywhere in between. They they are to lead in a certain way. And and what often happens is we, well, if they're on our team, we're not going to call them out. If they're on the other team, we're going to call them out. And thankfully, what you're seeing in New York, finally, is you're seeing some folks on the governor's team calling them out. We as conservatives, or liberals, progressive, wherever you fall, when when someone on your team, in your tribe, messes up, we should call them out, and not have a problem doing that just because. Well, it may it may hurt our movement. No, if if they've done wrong, then let's say as such, or as much. So now I want to shift gears and look at what uh, what was an interesting hearing the other day in the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. Uh, California Attorney General and <clears throat> Health and Human Services nominee Xavier Becerra faced scrutiny over one of his most radical political positions. As a congressman, Becerra voted against the federal ban on partial birth abortion. You heard that right. He voted against a ban on partial birth abortion. A procedure used late in pregnancy whereby a viable unborn child is partially delivered, his or her skull is punctured and evacuated, and the dead infant is then delivered intact. The medical term for this procedure is an intact dilation and extraction, and despite decades of pushing for its legality, its supporters have yet to demonstrate that it is ever medically necessary for a mother's health. After more than a decade of fights in Congress and two Supreme Court cases considering bans on this procedure, a federal ban on partial birth abortion was allowed to stand. It's worth noting that the ban passed Congress with the support of many Democrats, including Senators Pat uh, Leahy, Harry Reid and Joe Biden. During the most recent congressional debate over the bill, Becerra voted against it. And during the hearing yesterday, Utah Senator, or it wasn't yesterday, last week, Utah Senator Mitt Romney questioned him about that vote. Here's the heart of their exchange. Romney said, most people agree that partial birth abortion is awful. You voted against a ban on partial birth abortion. Why? Becker said this, I understand that people have different deeply held beliefs on this issue, and I respect that. As Attorney General, my job has been to follow the law and to make sure that others are following the law. I understand that we may not always agree on where to go, but I think we can find some common ground on these issues because everyone wants to make sure that if you have an opportunity, you're going to have a healthy life. I hope to be able to work with you and others to be able to reach that common ground on so many issues. And then Romney ended it by saying, I think we can reach common ground on many issues. But on partial birth abortion, it sounds like we're not going to reach common ground there. Bakera, in other words, has no explanation as to why he opposed a ban on this heinous and medically unnecessary procedure. Nor does he appear to have any plans to reverse his position on it to align with public opinion and mainstream medicine. In defense of Bacara, NARAL president said this, partial birth abortion is not a medical term. It is a fabrication of the right wing. Now, she says that, but again, it goes back to wordplay. It's the same thing that we talked about on here is, is what is a successful abortion? It's the ending of a life. What is a botched abortion? The baby survives the abortion. So what is partial birth abortion? It is an intact extraction. That is what it is. The baby is alive. You deliver it partially and then you end its life and then you deliver it the rest of the way. But you see, they're using semantics, and they're going, that's not a medical term. You see what they're doing there? This response is typical of abortion activists who would rather play rhetorical games than confront the reality of what they support. Uh, as the National Review has written several times, the specific label we append to any particular abortion procedure matters far less than the truth of what that procedure does. Those who pivot to terminological debates generally do so because they have something to hide. It matters very little whether we refer to this procedure by the far more explanatory term, partial birth abortion or the clinical phrase intact dilation and extraction. What matters is what occurs in that procedure. And in this case, Bacchera, what it says about him that, that he supports it. And and so there's a lot of reasons why I'm against the nomination and, and the ultimate uh, affirming of Bacchera. he, He attacked pregnancy centers in California. He made it his mission to uh, specifically go after them. He's for partial birth abortion. He's for abortion throughout nine months of pregnancy. And, And he doesn't need to be leading that. Even when he's asked the question, he had an opportunity there to clarify. Well, I voted on it. You know, he could have said, I voted, I voted against it because of procedural issues and I didn't like the way it was worded and I thought it was going to be an obstacle to abortion. And you know, he could have said a number of things. He could have looked at Senator Romney and said, look, I, I am pro-choice and in, in my belief of abortion, I, I, I hesitate to, to vote in favor of any bans. Or any restrictions because I'm afraid that's a slippery slope and going to take us to a dangerous place. He could have said that. Now, I would disagree with him, but he could have said that. Instead, he just deflected. So Romney says, so you voted against the ban of partial birth abortion. Why'd you do that? You know, everybody would agree that partial birth abortion is is awful and wrong. Why would you vote against the ban? Kara simply didn't answer the question. Well, you know, my job as attorney general is to enforce the law and make sure people are following the law. We have a lot of common ground. You know, we're going to find a lot of common ground on these issues. And and uh no, you didn't answer the question. I, I can find common ground with people on a lot of things. I'm a sensible guy. I cannot find common ground with you when it comes to partial birth abortion. I just can't. I can't. If, if you performed that on a, on a dog having a puppy, they would want to throw you under the jail. If, if you walked out to, to my dad's farm tomorrow and you witnessed my dad partially delivering a calf and then you saw him insert something into the brain of that calf to kill the calf and then pull the calf the rest of the way out, they would have animal rights activists down there at Wood Dairy in a heartbeat. We have stopped interstates from going through certain places because of a turtle that no one knew existed until they wanted to build the road. Yet you have a man that is being looked at as to leading up the health and human services and, and he is in favor of partial birth abortion. Dealing with real humans. You see, and, and I sound like a broken record at times. Because I, I say that what we do is we look at this from an aerial view. And so when you look at it from an aerial view, you just see it as a policy. But what what I want Bacchera and others to, to look at is the life of the child that's actually going through that partial birth abortion. Case by case, look at that child. That's, that almost got an opportunity in life, but you're going to end it for him right before the head is out of the birth canal. You see, but they'll, they'll say, well, you know, this is a, this is bigger than that. It's bigger than one, one case. It's, it's, you know, it's about rights. And, you know, th- their tune is very different when it comes to COVID. You know, we gotta shut everything down because even if we can save lump, one life, it's worth it. You may lose your livelihood, you may lose all your life savings, you may lose your business. But if we could save one life, it's worth it. But when it comes to abortion, no, we can, we can end a million lives every single year. And we actually need to end more. We need to make it easier to get abortions. Now they're not the only one that are hypocritical We're hypocritical on the conservative side too We say a lot of things that, that don't match up And don't make sense Again because we're, we're all trying to Win some kind of argument or debate Instead of looking and going This is a life This is a life And every successful abortion Ends a unique Life That's the truth. That's what science says. That's what the the Bible says. That's what common sense says. Because if it didn't, why are you getting an abortion? If it's just a blob of tissue, if it's just a clump of cells, then why are you getting an abortion? Why are you getting rid of it? Oh, you're getting rid of it because you know it's a baby. And you don't want a baby. Why are doctors pushing for it? Why did the abortion industry push for it? Because they can make a lot of money. But yet here we are. Even the, the reason why so many of this country is against partial birth abortion, why do you think that is? Because they know it involves a life. And, and it makes them uncomfortable to think that the baby is partially birthed and the head is still in the birth canal, and then they do something to end the life of that baby before it finally gets out of the birth canal. You see what I'm saying? It makes us uncomfortable because we know what it is. We know what it's doing. So whether it's partial birth abortion, or you're taking pills, or whatever way you're ending the life of that baby. that That's the truth. Period. We know that. Progressives know that. Christians know that. Lost people know that. Atheists know that. And so I'm glad Senator Romney asked the question. It needs to be on record that that man did not answer. We'll be back. So as we finish up, we just have a few more minutes left. Look, all of these, all of these topics on this week's show are important. They matter. We should care about uh, the Equality Act. We should care about what that means for people of faith. Uh, what's going on in New York? Even though maybe you're listening to this and going, "I live in Tennessee or I live in Alabama," and, and what do I care? What's going on in New York? We should care about what's happening there. The handling of COVID and. and and now these allegations all of this should matter to us and then the last topic we looked at was bikair and, and possibly being the a cabinet member and overseeing health and human services that matters to us as people of faith as as people that would claim to be pro life uh, we should care about who's in those positions but but hear me when i say this we we don't uh Again, I'm not wringing my hands and going, woe is me, the sky is falling. Regardless of what happens in D.C., we have work to do. If you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, there's lost people around us that need Jesus. If you're a mom or a dad, husband or a wife, you got work to do. To love your family well, to lead your family well. If you're an employer, an employer... Or a coworker, you got work to do. And so at times I think we get so caught up and so bent out of shape of what's happening in DC that we we neglect the good that's happening around us. Somebody messaged me this week and they said, Hey, you you might have a good answer for this. You know, I often hear progressives say all Christians care about her babies. They don't care about after the baby's born. They're not doing anything to, to make any changes and, and to help uh, get people out of poverty and those things. And, and how would you answer that? And my, my first response would be conservatives are starting to, to see a shift when it comes to child tax credits. We're seeing bipartisan support on uh, upping that number. Uh, we're seeing bipartisan support on a number of areas with family leave and, and medical leave and, uh, you're, I think you're even going to see some bipartisan support when it comes to minimum wage if it's not craziness. But, but on the surface, the argument that all conservatives care about are babies is false. Plain and simple. No one is fostering or adopting more than the Christians. No one. No one gives to charity more than conservatives. No one. No one, you can go and look at the taxes of, of every political candidate. I promise you, the one that's giving the most to charity is going to be the conservative. No one's giving to charities more than the Christian. It's just true. Hope would not exist without churches giving to us. So, so here in this community, you have people tithing to their churches and then churches saying, okay, now we need to send out thousands of dollars to Parachurch organizations. That helps on a number of fronts. So to say that all you care about is baby, I certainly do not apologize for caring deeply about babies. But no, it doesn't end there. Of course it doesn't. And they say that because they just want to, want to change the subject. I would argue that they say all we care about is babies and I would say they don't even care about babies. Now, would that be completely true? No, but I can say it, can I? And so we have to, at some point, be willing to stand up and and have those conversations. But besides that, we also have to understand where we are in our context, in our communities, in our small groups, at at our workplaces. How are we loving people? How are we engaging people? And, And it's not that difficult. But you know what, what social media has done is it's, for a long time, we were friends with people and knew people, but we didn't know their politics. We didn't know where they stood on the issues of the day. Now, we know where everybody stands on the issues of the day. So that, that taints the, the thought of them. So whether I like them or not is based on, well, I saw that post and we disagree on marriage or I saw that post and we disagree on abortion or I saw that post and they voted for Biden or I saw that post and they voted for Trump or did they have a red hat on in that one picture? And so we create these these uh, animosity with people that we don't even know. So when we do come in contact with them, we're already on edge, ready for a debate, ready for an argument. We're in times past. We just go, hey, that's my neighbor. I don't I don't know how he votes necessarily he's a good dude to me and so these are the things that we have to wrestle with and and that has to start with looking in the mirror and, and wrestling with it with yourself not easy but worth it we'll talk to you next week